0: Hi folks, welcome to this week's edition of the Finance Hour. The topic of the podcast today is Scale Me Up. We have a great discussion with business coach and author Stuart Bell about the emerging tools and strategies for small business owners to carve out a niche and then scale up their business. Stuart is a passionate user of technology to make things better, easier and faster and make sure you listen to the end of the interview, where he gives tips for his three top technology apps to help small and medium-sized business owners. Be sure to also listen to Propel Ahead of the Week, which is all about automatic insurance, which may apply when you join your employer. Of course, I look forward to any of your feedback on the Adapt Wealth Facebook page or email me at advice at adaptwealth.com.au. Enjoy the show.
1: I need dollar, dollar. I need Said dollar what
0: I need. Good afternoon and welcome to the finance hour. Whether you're listening live on Jair or indeed on our podcast, this is the show where we help try and make sense of the world of business and finance and hopefully help you make better financial decisions or at least be more informed. Uh, I welcome your SMS's, SMSs today on 47 so My name's Ruben Zower. I'm the financial planner and owner at Adapt Wealth Management. Uh, we're a financial planning firm that work with business owners, professionals, and those planning for retirements. I've been doing this podcast uh, since about February So if you want to listen to any previous episodes, uh, just search us on iTunes or Stitcher. Uh, You can also Google us and you'll find a site uh, by Omni which has got all the previous podcasts. So today on the show is called, uh, the title of the show is called Scale Me Up. Uh, We're going to talk about how small businesses can survive in this crazy, ever-changing environment. And we've got a great guest on, a business coach, who is going to join us shortly. But before we do that, I thought I'd just have a quick discussion about what's been going on this week in the world of business and finance. We've talked a lot about the banks on this program. It's generally been bad news. Uh, They've been in the news for bad financial advice, for money laundering, the whole works. But obviously someone decided there that they wanted to put out some good news. So Commonwealth Bank on Sunday, no less, shows you that the bank executives are working hard even on the weekend. Uh, They made an announcement that they are ditching any ATM fees uh, for cash withdrawals that uh, customers make at at any CBA ATM, even if they're not a customer of CBA. So it used to be if you were a customer of one of the banks and you drew an ATM from a, a branded machine of another bank, you'd be charged a $2 fee. And now the CBA were the first ones to abolish that. And would you believe it, within about three hours, all of the other banks abolished it as well. So yeah, you can read into that what you like. Uh, the banks seem to follow each other. We do seem to have rules about how uh, big companies should be working, that they shouldn't be working in concert as cartels. I'm sure that they've worked out a way not to uh, cross that legislation or cross that line. But it is interesting how they all follow suit with interest rates and now with these ATM fees. The other banks didn't want CBA to get the jump on them. So overall, this is good news for us customers or clients we've been spending around $500 million on average on these uh, ATM fees for banks that are not our own, and that will go, but there is a flip side to this as well, or there's something to be careful of, These, uh, this exemption from the $2 fee only actually applies to bank-branded ATMs. So if you're going to a Seven Eleven, for example, uh, there's a Bankwest ATM, they're not One of the big four banks that have reduced the fee or have eliminated the fees so if you go and withdraw money from a 7-eleven you'll still pay the two dollar fee in pubs and clubs there are a lot of uh, ready atms they're actually nab atms but they're branded slightly differently they're branded ready atms you will still pay the two dollar fee on those overall it's a good thing of course it's been met with some cynicism People, rather than talking about the positives, talk about the negatives, the fact that it doesn't apply to every single ATM. But overall, this is a good thing. It was a bit of a ridiculous fee. There was no cost at all in the banks for you using a different ATM. So at the end of the day, it is good news. The other thing which uh, piqued my interest a little bit was Lu in the in the media. So Solilu's main investment company is, is called Premier Investments. They've got a lot of They're in retail, they've got a lot of large brands uh, such as Smiggle, and I'll talk about that in a minute. But Soliloo likes to keep his hands in a lot of different pies. Uh, He was very instrumental at Myers for a large number of years, was their chairman, and now he's uh, still a 10% shareholder he bought in recently. He wants to make sure that he's got a position if anything would happen there. But Myers came out with an absolutely horrible result. Their share price, I think, is more than fifty percent down on its float, so it's going terribly. He lashed out at them. He said that they're no better than a, a two-dollar discount store, or and and he was really, really scathing about them. And as well, he would be because his shares in that have dropped quite a bit. He's, they're less than what he paid for, but. Uh, he is obviously a very, very good operator in the rest of his stable of businesses, which includes just jeans and Portmans. There was some not great news there either. He had to actually that had to close a couple of shops because the rentals in the city are going up and up. There are new companies coming from overseas, so he actually had to cut, to cut down on a couple of uh, of long standing uh, retail outlets there. But what was really interesting is the business, which is called Smiggle, which is stationary office supplies and homewares, did really, really well. It's a bit of a boutique uh, position, so it's quite unique in terms of what it does, and it's carved out a really good position. And that's going to be interesting because that's, I think, some of the discussion we're going to have with our guest, Stuart Bell, is about small businesses, not that Smiggle's a small business but more about how businesses can carve out their particular niches and still do well, even if the overall economy isn't doing that well. And one of the most important things with Smiggle is that their online sales were up about 44%. So you can see there's obviously been a big shift from people buying in in shops to buying online, and that's a, a massive area of growth if you've got a good brand, which clearly they do. So that's sort of the happenings that have have gone on over the last week that I've been interested in anyway. We are going to take a short break and then I will introduce our main guest for the day, Stuart Bell. Welcome back to the Finance Hour, whether you're listening live on JR or on our podcast. The topic of today's show is Scale Me Up. How do small businesses survive in this crazy ever-changing environment? Is it doom and gloom or is there light at the end of the tunnel? So our main guest today is leading business coach, Stuart Bell. Uh, he's a business coach to advise businesses, but I think a lot of what he's going to have to say will be relevant to all sorts of small and medium businesses. Stuart is, a, in addition to being a business coach, he's a thought leader. He's a prolific blogger. In fact, in 2017, his blog, Ordere, coaching and consulting was listed as the 74th best business blog in the prestigious feed feed spot list so stuart uh we got you on the line
2: hey rob how are you doing ribbon
0: very well very well stuart um thanks a lot for joining us first of Thank all very much for having me. yeah first of all the first question is the name of your firm What is it? Audere? It's A-U-D-E-R-E, but I've got absolutely no idea how to pronounce (laughs) it.
2: It's pronounced Audere, but uh, it's probably one of the most mispronounced things of all. It's a a Latin word, which I happen to sort of uh, decide was a good name for the business.
0: Okay. Very good. Now, Stu, we've had a look at your website, and so we've done a heap of research. Your website says... Uh, better, easier, faster. Yeah. So what is that referring to exactly?
2: So uh, a lot of what I do is technology related, but in actual fact, I I often explain to people it's not about the technology. It's actually about the way you run your business, the business model. And the better, easier, faster kind of refers to three things you've got to ask yourself whenever you're looking at a piece of software. And asking, should I adopt it? It's yep. either got to make your life, it's got to make your business better, it's got to make things uh, faster to run or easier. If it doesn't do any of those three things, don't go near it.
0: Drop it. Okay. So, Stu, so just give us a little bit more of a background in, in terms of what you do in this current business. I think our listeners would be interested to hear.
2: Yeah, sure. I'll give you the short version because uh, yeah. I'm sure nobody wants to hear the, the detail. But um, I coach professional services. So um, anybody who makes a living out of taking their expertise and applying to other people's situations to generate a result, which yeah. is a very different business from manufacturing or shops. And essentially I help them, you know, find better ways to attract new clients into their business, how to how to keep their existing clients and really, you know, deliver better quality outcomes and, and finally how to resource it all all up in the background. That's kind of yeah. that's kind of me in a nutshell.
0: Okay. Yeah. Well I'm guessing that the uh, the career of a business coach is not something that you grow up as a you know, 12 or 15-year-old thinking that's what you're going to become. Uh, I don't know of any university courses that are called business coaching. So what was your journey in terms of getting into it?
2: Yeah, um, there is a, I'm sure there are business coaching courses right here and now. Oh, really? yeah the coaching that sort of i uh I learned along the way I learned from mentors and and getting mm. out there and sort of working with businesses but um I mean my family I, I you go back as far as you like and we've got sort of business owners my grandfather my grandmother my you know great grandparents and I sort of got uh i got into the consulting gig yeah. um, while I was working corporate and then i 2008, I was walking through an airport in, in Melbourne, actually, if it happens, and picked up a book called The 4-Hour Workweek by Tim Ferriss. And oh, yes. It. I've read that I mean, have, yeah. you, have you read it?
0: I certainly have. Yeah. What did you think well, of it? I thought it was great. I thought, uh, I think a lot of the stuff in it was really relevant seven or eight years ago. It was quite yeah. sort of revolutionary then. So I think, I think it was, but... You know, I suppose a lot of what he said has has become mainstream now.
2: Yeah. I mean there's some great ideas in there. It's it's co- you look at it, read it now and it's cobbled together with technology from various different spaces and it was notoriously hard to implement. But right. that was kind of the seat that was kind of the seat of of me wanting to head on that
0: path. There was one interesting part of that book that I remember, he talks about, you know, being a an employee nomad, so not being stuck to the office. And there was this yeah. whole series of scripted discussions he basically said for you to have with your employer for saying why you don't want to work in the office anymore (laughs) and it was kind of a little ridiculous it was like saying to your employer well I'm feeling a bit sick I need to spend to take a couple of days off and then saying well look I've taken a couple of days off I found I was really productive Uh, you know can I take two weeks off and work from home and then when they say yeah then you get to the next thing and say look it was working really well I think I might go to the Bahamas for a couple of months and work from there.
2: It's it's session. I, like I I read that and that was a big part of the reason when I quit corporate. I just took a, I literally took a year off. And one yeah. of the things on my tick list was Argentina because Tim just talks about Argentina this and Argentina that. But um, it's it's kind of it kind of makes sense now. We've got that kind of technology knocking around. I mean, I, I know you you do a lot of stuff on online meetings. Yeah, and it's. Uh, I mean, what, what's been your experience of kind of transitioning from you know, just face-to-face work with your clients to being able to meet with them remotely as well? How, how has it been for you?
0: It's definitely it's been a slow transition for me. Um, I still think you know face-to-face is probably the core of what I do, but there's no doubt you know, the more you get into clients who are you know business owners or professionals, it's getting more and more difficult to get them into the office, and I found yeah. that really good. I, a lot of what I do. It's not only just face-to-face, but I'll do a, a recording for them. I'll, if I want to explain a document, I'll record my screen and yeah. talk through it and send them a, a five-minute thing. And to be honest, that saves such a huge amount of time for both parties. And so I find that's been really good. Having said that, I think there still is something to you know, having an office, having a place to turn up to each day. I, I think there's something to that as well. So yeah. it's not something, you, you, I think Tim's was well, at that point he was really, really pro working from everywhere else in the world. Yeah. But I do like coming to an office.
2: Yeah, I mean, uh, I think we use the same tool. I use Zoom for all my meetings. Yeah. And there's just so many great apps and tools now that you can sort of enable it with. But it's, it's, it's nice to be able to to know that if you do make the choice that you want to work from somewhere uh, different, whether that's the Bahamas or it's just a coffee shop, you know, you've got the technology to sort of have that flexibility in your life. I think.
0: Yeah. Okay. So there was a transition from working in corporates. Just just to be clear, what sort of corporates were they? What? It's a general, fairly general term.
2: Yeah, I was uh, I was with MLC, owned by NAB for about five years, yeah. and then moved to AMP and was part of uh, Hill Ross. So there were larger financial uh, services institutions, which yeah. was a great a great learning ground. Like I think uh, you know, roughly 75% of people who start their own businesses and succeed start in corporate. So there's this, uh, media image sometimes of that everybody who's going to start a successful business starts it in their 20s, and
0: it's just yeah. not the case. Yeah, interesting. We actually had an episode uh, a while ago talking about FinTech, technology and finance, yeah. and talking about how... There are obviously a lot of startups, but in some ways, the big institutions, like the banks, have got so yeah. much data and are really in a, the strongest position to be implement, to be innovating in that space, but they come yeah. up against enormous bureaucracy trying to implement things. It's
2: it's true. I was in the States in September last year, kind of looking at a bunch of FinTechs, and there's I think there's about 1,600 startups out there now that are aiming to help you do your budgeting or yep. help you get reporting. But the um, interesting thing is over here, we've got these great, comparative to America, these great systems, but they're constrained by the fact that, to be honest, a lot of the data doesn't flow freely between one bank to the other. Yes. So um, it's, it's, like it's a great space. And people, people who are listening, you know, they, they may know, they may have gone out there and used some of these apps um, yeah. themselves. But uh, spe-
0: specifically, uh, like the financial technology apps you're talking about, or or just generally communication type of apps.
2: Oh, I'm, I'm talking specifically about the financial apps that are yeah. coming around right now. I mean, there's. Uh, honestly, we could fill an hour talking about all the ones that you can use in your personal life, but definitely yeah. the financial stuff.
0: Yeah, and we actually have got a whole. We had an episode that was pretty much dedicated to that sort of stuff, but. As you say, we've we barely scratched the surface. But I'm interested, I know we're digressing a bit, but on the, on the fintech, you said that there were, what, hundreds and hundreds of companies in the US. Uh, one thing you sometimes hear critical about the fintech is that they're solutions searching for a problem. Did you, did you find that at all, like they're, they're solving problems which don't really exist? Okay, we have Stuart Bell back after a couple of technical difficulties. Stuart, how can you hear Hi. me now?
2: Perfect. Your dulcet tones are coming across beautifully.
0: Ah, fantastic. So, Stu, we were talking about fintech. So you said you went to the US and you saw a whole lot of them. And my question was, are they solving real problems or are they solutions searching for a problem?
2: I think the former. They're definitely solving uh, real problems. And, uh, you know, they're just... I, I think the way that... And this isn't sort of criticizing our industry, but I think a lot of the time... Uh, when you look at the way that Silicon Valley start companies, they, they don't they start with a customer at the center of it. And as mm. a result, you know, the kind of stuff that's coming out is um, you know, we saw some, some firms out there who offer S, like SMS based accounting services for Uber drivers. Mm. Um, there's a couple of concierge like cash flow coaching services. You've got big businesses out there that are sort of totally adjusting that the way they give advice. Um it's more of a hybrid model. Mm. Um, some really impressive stuff, and uh, you, know, you know how much of the banks are looking out for fintech, and you can kind of see why.
0: Yeah. Well, look, it's interesting now we talk about the size of businesses, because I know you're passionate about small and medium business. Yeah. And, and you know, maybe you have a view that things are, things are really good, but there is a view that it's never been more difficult for people to be in small business as it is now. Uh, there's a lot of bureaucracy out there that we have to deal with, particularly in this country, around tax mm. and compliance. There's also competition from these enormous companies coming out. If you even think about Uber, what they've done to the taxi industry to the individual taxi driver, mm-hmm. if you look at yeah. Amazon, what they're what they're doing to retail or what they what they're scared that they're going to be doing to retail, and I know some of them will be taking business away from the big incumbents, like the big retailers, but they'll also be hurting the smaller businesses as well. And I think that that's that's something that's happening across the board. When you have big business that come in and want to gain huge market share, they don't care if they make money, it makes it very, very difficult for the small business.
2: Yeah, I mean, I I don't disagree that that's definitely an issue. On the flip side, I kind of turn around and I look at, uh, you know if you tried to to put out a website twenty five years ago, um you're looking at uh, three million bucks to build a website, you yeah. have an engineering team of ten and a management function to build it. And it's going to take you a year. Right. So you know if someone's out there and they're they're thinking of you know, shall, I, shall I start this business or shall I have a crack at it? There's these tools out there for them to connect with an audience, to get it out there. To, they can even be testing to see whether people are going to buy things. Mm. before they've even thought of actually, um, of actually building it, which we see through Kickstarter and that sort of thing. Mm. So, so um,
0: you feel that um, that works more in the, to the benefit of small business. But don't the big businesses have the capacity and the funding to spend more and more on technology and get further ahead?
2: They do, but technology has got cheaper and cheaper and cheaper. Mm. Uh, there's a great book by uh, Peter Diamandis, not Di- Diamandis, uh, yep. called Bold. It's yeah. a real mind-stretching view on, on sort of the comparison between, you know, the democratization of technology that 20 years ago would have cost you a lot more. Mm-hmm. So, uh, like, the one final thing I'd say is there was a great interview a while back uh, with a guy called Kevin Kelly, who's a, such a smart guy, co-editor of Wired, a whole bunch of other stuff. And he said, look, people who are worried about technology's incursion, uh, you've got to ask yourself one of two questions. If that is a business you're just delivering a commodity or a mm. product or a mm. service, um, then you're open to competition. You're open to price competition, which is the main thing that sort of uh, the internet has brought across. But if you're in a business of delivering experience, yeah, well, the big cut incumbents in the technology, they can get to a point, but they can't replicate that. So I, I think small businesses do have that ability to actually form more of a connection with their actual mm-hmm. clients and and use that to build that sort of loyalty. That's my view. Right.
0: But selling widgets is not going to really work.
2: No. anymore. It's no. If you unless you, if you unless you're going to be the cheapest, and you'd argue that it's really hard to be cheaper than than big companies like you know. And ask yeah. anybody who's tried to go head to head with Woolworths or Coles.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So you see, technology is more an evening an evening up factor rather than something that makes makes a bigger gap between bigger and small business?
2: No, I reckon, I, I think it's an think easing it, up. You think
0: it narrows the gap?
2: Yeah, definitely but, narrows the gap. Well, I guess
0: that's interesting because the other key issue is the cost of labour and staff, yeah. and there are <coughs> flip sides of that. On the one hand, cost of labour is pretty high in this country, uh, and that's, that's a challenge, well, it's a challenge for all businesses, but it's a challenge... For small businesses as well. So, yeah. how do you think small business can can help mitigate those issues in terms of staff and rising wages and, and other sorts of pressures?
2: Yeah, I kind of. This is it's almost like uh, we're now getting into discussion to some degree about outsourcing. Yeah, and I know people kind of have a lot of strong views about. I get it. Mm. Um, but one of the things that technology does for small businesses is it suddenly opens up the labor market to work with people that you know, aren't just within 50 kilometers of your location. Yeah. you can suddenly work with, with people overseas. You know, yeah. um, if you want to use a computer programmer to build your next app, you can do so in Eastern Europe. We have some mm. of the best computer programs on the planet. Mm. If you want to work with uh, marketing people uh, to write your copywriters in the states, again, there's a lot of great copywriters in the US.
0: Mm. And, and it's that. lower cost than what we can do here. Yeah. What, that's,
2: kind of a, that's, that's, that's one of the added benefits. But um, I, everyone sort of looks at outsourcing, as well. you either pay peanuts and you offshore it, and it's kind of that stuff. But sometimes it's, you look at it from a value perspective and say, mm. I'm going to get a better quality of candidate. The end product I'm going to get is a lot better. And on top of that, I'm going to be playing a fraction of, of, of what I would if I employed somebody with half the skill set back here. It's a tough yeah. one, and I get I get why people are emotional about it. But at the same time, um, particularly if you're a small business and you're battering up against some of this legislation, mm. and, and if you don't, if you if you have to fork out a whole bunch of wages for somebody who's going to come in and they're not going to take uh, the ownership of the business and they're not going to give you the outcomes, then your business isn't isn't going to survive anyway. Yeah. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah, and I guess the emotional side of it is that we you know we're moving jobs offshore to an extent. A lot of the banks you know, did that with call centers in the in the 70s yeah. and 80s. We had a big rag trade here. That all d- virtually disappeared. So yeah. we're actually potentially losing jobs here. So we need to get smarter in terms of what we employ people for, I guess.
2: I mean, you're right. There's, there, there are going to be jobs moving offshore. Um, you'd argue that you know, as the standard of living in a country goes up, generally speaking, so does the, you know, so does the expectations around wage. And then suddenly yeah. it, that kind of doesn't open up. But the second bit is you'd know when you're an early on a business, you, get, you kind of spend the best you can. And if you manage to get bigger and bigger and bigger, you bring in more people. And as you get bigger, the kind of people that you bring in, they tend to be in the office kind of people, people right. you work around with. But if you never get through the early phase, uh, and you never manage to systematise the business in the first
0: place,
2: then mm. you, you either run out of you know you run out of cash flow, or you run out of energy before the business matures.
0: Yeah, well, that's actually a really interesting uh, view that I hadn't thought of, because what you're saying is, is any kind of tool or situation like be it technology or cheaper staff effectively helps a small business grow. And, the, and the, more, you know, the more successful small businesses are, we know that that's such a huge part of the economy. The more successful they are, the more jobs that will ultimately create. I, I, so that's, I an, think, that's an interesting point.
2: If you think about what entrepreneurs do, successful entrepreneurs create opportunities and roles for other people. Um, way back at university, I did a whole module on the Korean economic miracle, if you remember that.
1: Yeah. It was around
2: about the late 90s, yeah. and I actually I had a Korean lecture and I'd come in on one week and we were talking about how amazing Korea was and it crashed literally overnight. And a lot of the, the crash there was down to the complete support by the Korean government of large multinational organizations who are after market share. So when right. the profitability of those organizations was exposed, the lack of it, there was no small business left to uh, to, to sort of um, prop it up. So. Uh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, and that's one of the reasons I do what I do because if you don't have strong small business, you by definition you don't have you don't have economic performance when, time gets, when times get tough.
0: Yeah, and just talking more, you touched on the outsourcing. Yeah. So I, I think you're referring to even having staff in different places, but there's with the advent of those uh, businesses such as Fiverr and Upwork, you can get smaller yeah. pieces of work done can, as well, can't you?
2: You can, yeah. Um, there's a there's a few articles on the internet. Okay, do you I'm want to,
0: maybe for our listeners, do you want to just explain what Fiverr and Upwork is?
2: Yeah, I totally will. So uh, it's something called the Hollywood system, whereas in Hollywood they don't employ uh, people to come onto a project anymore. They find, uh, you know, who's the best guy at filming documentary or who's the best director when it comes to comedies? And yeah. they bring these teams together for a period of time. And then when the film is made... You know, everyone goes about their business until the next time they work together. And yeah. essentially, that's that's the idea behind what we call the out, you know, freelance economy, where you can decide, you know what? I need someone to help me build uh, a new marketing uh, marketing brochure, or I need someone who's going to help me fix this specific problem. And mm. you can go out and grab a contractor who specializes in this piece, agree, you know, an hourly rate or, or a set fee for it, and in return, you you get, you know, this thing done for you. Um, and if you want to continue, you can. Uh, if not, that's the end of your business together.
0: But there's, and, nothing, there's nothing completely new in that. I mean, if I want to get a website or a brochure developed, I can hire somebody around the corner or the city to, to do that job and then move on. Is that such a, is it such a massive change?
2: It's, it's not, but the, I guess the, the challenge is when we were all just using our local web designers, we weren't connecting with people who were specialists in their field. So, if you wanted a website done, uh, you'd hopefully go out and find somebody who'd done work in professional services. you You probably don't want someone who's specialized in building you know eBay websites or or websites that sell books. Um, mm. And on top of it, you suddenly benefit the internet is you do get this ability to go out there and see people's work you know, live. And, right.
0: uh, and you've got all the ratings, for example, I know I mean I have used. Upwork a couple of times. Sometimes yeah. it's Sometimes it's been successful. Other times it hasn't. But one of the things you can do is there's all ratings. So yeah. every what they make you, whatever you do, even the smallest job, they actually make you give a rating to the person. You can't even complete the job unless you've done that.
2: That's right. And even when you're searching through different people, you can search for I need someone with this scale set or minimum sort of ratings. Mm. And uh, you sound like you've, used, sounds like you've used Upwork. I have you know, used Upwork, you know. yeah. And
0: have you used 99design? I, I, I did look at it at one point, and I was looking at a website, and it ended up being pretty expensive mm. to get what I wanted. So in the end, I've actually gone with someone local, which is, Thanks. you know, I, I think, and and that, that's interesting because when you do outsource, whether it's you're using technology or other staff, it's not, as you say, it's not necessarily, you know, the cure for all evils. No. In some ways, it, it it can create other problems as well. If you don't, if, if you're not really clear on, on how you're briefing somebody and if you've got language barriers and that sort of thing, Yeah. that can make things even more difficult. You can go backwards. It can. It
2: can. And you, didn't, you know from getting websites built, you know, mm. the, the actual building the website itself isn't where the work is. It's the to and trying afterwards to get the copyright. Right. um, Sometimes you're dealing with people who aren't necessarily, they're experts at what they do, but they're not necessarily great at extracting what you want from the process. Mm -hmm. But, yeah, there's there's definite definite benefits of sitting down with somebody locally, but, um, you know, you're obviously going to pay a lot more for that as well.
0: Yeah, that's right. Now, I know one of the things that you're passionate about is scale. Yes, you're passionate about small businesses being able to increase their revenue, increase their top line without without uh, increasing their costs commensurately, which is what we're all after. So yep. the sort of things we've been talking about, is that at a large scale or how else is your approach to allow to coach businesses to really achieve that, that critical goal? So I,
2: I one of the best books I'd ever... I'd, Sort of recommend on this topic, and it's not a it's not a, a fresh book, but it's, it pulls information really well. It's called "Making Money Is Killing Your Business" by Chuck Bateman. Yeah, and he sort of talks about uh, a lot about the, one of the fundamental differences between you know a true business and a just a self employed entity is the question of you know are you building something that's going to give you um, revenue, or are you building something that is going to enable you to generate uh, profit when you're not there anymore. Mm. Um, and that's really the crux of it. It's like uh, I see a lot of people, you know, decide that they they want to start a business and they go out with this intention of being a, like, I want to become a person of value, so people will pay me for my services. Right. And then uh, what happens is you see these people who are good at what they do, and they just get busier and busier. You would have experienced this, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah. And if they don't start asking questions about, I need to, I need to create some systems. I need to create. Some ways that people can get the same result in dealing with other people in my business as they mm. do for me, mm. um, and almost start to create these these mechanisms for servicing clients that have nothing to do with your actual, you know, physical capabilities or you know your time. You you just end up you end up one or two things either happen: people lose, they fall out of love with the business, or they yeah. just run out of energy. And
1: yeah,
2: that's kind yeah. of the thing that I don't want to see. Good people be so good at what they do, they get in demand, mm. but then.
0: They just hit that wall. Right. It can so, be, can right. so the, the could traditional go. the traditional way of scale is just to hire staff, really, isn't it? Hire staff yeah. so that, you know, you're not, you know, whoever it is doesn't always need to count on you and the business can run without you. But I suppose what you're saying is more than just that, isn't it? It's more than just growing staff and delegating. Yeah. Well, the,
2: the traditional thing used to be you'd go out to the market, you'd hire. You know, if you're a, a EY or a PwC, you hire young graduates who are super keen to work really, really hard. And then within two years, you get rid of half of the ones that are never going to make it and you promote the other ones. And then do the, do the same two years up and out. And eventually you've got your partners and you've still got your work that can be done by people who are working long, long hours and you're not paying high rates. But but nowadays, um, you know, younger generation, I'm not necessarily interested in careers at PwC or EY. Mm-hmm. Uh, entrepreneurship's easier than ever before. They're more interested in you know, all the other vocations which are open to people. So that that whole um, labor market, I think, is reduced.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, so that's where you've got a lot of business looking around going, God, if I can't get plentiful labor of people who are jumping over to, to themselves to do this particular job, what do I do? And technology can fill that gap. Uh, a lot of systematization that needs to happen anyway fills that mm. gap. Mm. But um, a lot of it's to do with ask yourself the question about how, how, how are you going to tweak the business model, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah, well, one of the uh, industries that I think does it particularly well is the, the medical and dental industry. Mm. Like, you might have a, a really busy dentist or an orthodontist. He's got mm. three chairs set up in three different rooms. Mm. He goes in, everything's prepped. He does his work, moves to the next one while he's in the next one. The next one's setting up they seem to optimise their time really, really well. I wonder if there's things that other industries can learn from them because I don't think anyone does it better than them.
2: I reckon you're probably right. Mm. Uh, I mean, there's some other ones. Every time I go to my chiropractor, they seem to have their business model very, very down pat I, I've, I've gone to see lawyers before, and you've always got the senior lawyer, comes in with a junior lawyer, mm. and next thing you know, the senior lawyer's gone, and you're dealing with a junior lawyer. So they're mm. very mindful of, of uh, you know, where,
0: where, where cost the cost are stuff. Exactly, mm. yeah. Yeah, so I guess that's another point, because you can talk about you know, increasing your scalability, but if at the point, you want at the pointy end, the person that's got the real skill, as you say, to be really spending his time on the highest value tasks and that's, that's what those doctors and dentists seem to be able to do. But that's a real challenge for business owners because you know, they may be really good at marketing but then you know, the bookkeeping has got to get done or the management yep. of the staff has got to get done. So, it seems to me like it's a more, more difficult thing to do in a small business as opposed to, as you say, that big law firm where the layers are set up and the structure is so clear. Agreed, but
2: one of the benefit of all these services, if you do reach a point where you realise that you know what, I can't be the one doing the bookkeeping anymore.
1: Mm.
2: You know, you can outsource the bookkeeping. You can do it onshore. You can do it offshore. If you decide, you know what, I really have an idea of how I'm going to market my business, but I don't be the, want to be the one to actually do the Facebook posting right. or to update the website. You can access a resource full time contract. You can ask them to do that, and that's. Now, those are skills that 20 years ago, if you wanted a, a marketing manager, you had to hire them and they mm. had to sit on your wage bill and you had to pay them bonuses and holidays and, and, and probably the rest of it. Nowadays, you can have a, you know, a, a part of a marketing manager for a fraction of the cost. Right,
0: but of, doing that, have, not having someone in your office that you can eyeball, as you say, it's got a lot of benefits because you don't have to supply them Tim Tams or yeah. beers on a Friday, <laughs> but, but there must be some drawbacks as well. It, it can't all be smooth sailing doing that because you see that big businesses have outsourced you know call centers overseas and then they've actually brought them back. So, so it's, it can't be that easy.
2: It's, um, the main thing that I had to learn when I started doing it was to have structure.
1: Mm.
2: So um, if you've got staff that are not physically in the office with you, you have to create a structure so you're talking. And you have to create a forum for you to actually ask these questions. Otherwise, you end up in each other's email inboxes, which, Mm. I mean, I I, I like to talk to clients by email. But when you add the team in there, it doesn't work. So one of the things that uh, if you want to work with people overseas is your Monday morning check-in. You've got to have like, you know, be absolutely religious about it. And then each day, you know, check-in to say, you know, what did you work on yesterday? What are you working on today? What do you need from me today? Not to mention, I mean, there's there's various different online sort of chat tools you can use. Slack mm. is the most famous one,
1: mm. and it's
2: the equivalent of having an open plan office, uh, but as an as an app on your desk. That you absolutely have to have that. Not to mention, um, you probably want to have you know, some think about your common processes and how it works before you start working with people, because if you're if you're going to try and work out how your business works at the same time as yeah. establishing a remote relationship. It's a hard gig. Right, so you almost
0: need to know how to do it yourself, mm-hmm. really, before you then delegate it to somebody else, even though you don't want to do it. Would you agree with that?
2: In most cases, yeah. I mm. reckon, I mean, you've, you would have had the experience. I, know, I Actually, I know for a fact that working with you, you like to get in and have a crack at it and roll your sleeves up and see how it works. Mm. And once you've got your head around 80% of it, you're like, okay, now I'm in a position where I can hand it over, which is yeah, you know, often the case with...
0: Yeah. All righty. So we've talked about uh, technology and staffing, and you, you you feel that that certainly has helped uh, helped small businesses. I want to. Yeah. We've also touched on a few different a uh, few different tools and businesses like Upwork and Fiverr. So I want I know that you're a bit of a tech head, Stu. So I, I want to hear the three apps, the three best apps that can help uh, small businesses get more efficient, and be better, easier, and faster. You wonder where I got that that from?
2: I don't know. That sounds good. (laughs) I should catch that and put it on on our website. It's it's almost as good as uh, the idea of simplifying things. (laughs) I reckon I might have stolen it from you. Um, (laughs) So uh, I gave a presentation (laughs) about six months ago, and I had to explain, like, what's your favorite apps, And I sort of explained it as having to... Breakdown three is like having to choose your favorite child. It's just not fair. But, um, <laughs> yeah. The three I, I I'd recommend is there's one called Mix Max, MixMax, M I X M A X. And uh, it's interesting, there's a lot of apps, I use that inverted commas, hitting the market now, which aren't actually apps, they're website extensions. They're yeah. things that plug into your Chrome browser and they just sit there as sort little of buttons. So you can activate them, and they have dropdowns. Yes, uh, and yep. the benefit of that is you're you're staying. What we we're doing what you call you're doing what you call staying workflow. You're not having to log on to a different site and break right. your concentration. Right. And MixMax is one that talks to Gmail. Yeah. And it just adds this all this amazing functionality in there, including my favourites are uh, templates. You can create an email. You know, if you find you're writing the same email five or six times, you can save it as a template and then next time you go into Gmail and type in like a short code like uh, you know book appointment it'll drop the whole email in there right uh, as well as you can put buttons in there for potential meeting times you can conduct polls it just it, it basically turbocharges your email and turns it into you know a kind of a one-stop shop for for doing a lot of things that otherwise would take to and fro so that's the first one
0: Excellent. number 2
2: number 2 is an app that I know you use, uh, called Voxer. Yeah, I love it. It's so good. What do you love about
0: it? I just love that I can give quick messages to somebody without without having to engage in a long conversation. I know it's not that different to what you can do with WhatsApp, <laughs> but it seems to be a bit more elegant and quicker to use. So it just, it just stops that those long conversations which can meander and waste yeah. a whole lot of time.
2: It's exactly right. You can use it for, like, it's, a, it's, it's essentially a walkie-talkie on your phone. Yeah. Instead of two-way, it delivers a short um, short message which you can click on a link. You can Sorry, you can click on the button. You can send it through as a link. Uh, you can send it via SM, SMS. But uh, it's great for communicating with the team. Yeah. Sometimes, I don't know about you, but I try and avoid email wherever possible. Yeah. Whoever came up with the idea of forcing everybody to type Everything they wanted to talk about at 40 words a minute instead of just talking at 200 words a minute, obviously was very sadistic and didn't want anybody to have any free time. So, Well, I
0: also use it after I've had a client meeting. And if I want to tell them a summary, I'll record a message for them. And I think it's more personal as well than typing an email. And it's a lot quicker.
2: I agree. Every time I'm like, you dropped me a Voxer a while back and told me, you know uh, a bit of a highlight of what you'd done during the week and mm. how you had a real winner. And, and to be honest, firstly, you know, it was personal, I heard your voice and it just put a smile on my face in a way that an, an email would not. So, it's, yeah. Um, yeah, I even use it, it with my
0: wife, which and is, you didn't uh, even have to yak to me about what I did on the weekend and my kids' sport or any of that stuff.
2: Yeah, <laughs> exactly. We didn't have to go through that whole the email thing, you know, hi, Ruben, hope you had a great weekend. Yeah. So the, it's just straight to the point. Yeah, that's the other one. I okay, kind of number three. At. Number three is a recent addition. It's a it's an app called uh, Guru. Yeah, uh, And what I love about this is um, uh, one of the biggest hurdles that many businesses have is capturing their intellectual property. You know, yeah. how do I answer this client query that's just come through via mm-hmm. email, or mm-hmm. uh, how, how do I capture the information about you know step by step how we how we pay invoices. Um, traditionally businesses used to grab, you know, write operations manuals, but yeah. I imagine you've had a few of these. and They uh, sit
0: there and you know, gather a lot of dust. They're good, they do. good, good doorstops.
2: They're great doorstops, yeah, and they, yeah. they just get out of day. Well, Guru uh, is essentially an electronic Rolodex, so you can put all this information in there in cards. Yeah. Uh, you can add hyperlinks, images, you know, links to videos, Uh, email template links and all the rest of it, and it's live. So, again, this is one of these extensions that sits in your Chrome browser. So, for example, anybody in in our business, uh, whether they're in the Philippines or South Africa, if they get a query through via email or they want to know how to do something, they just hit the button, which is the Guru button. A little box drops down, they search, and bang, there's the information. So it's just...
0: A little bit like a a help app on a... Yeah, on one of those, on any app, really, on any phone so thing, when you start typing a question and it comes up with suggested answers.
2: Exactly. Do you remember mm. Do you remember that old Microsoft Word, uh, Clippy? Ah, uh, yeah, I hated
0: him. He was so... And so did I.
2: So, um, that's why I don't usually explain it like that, but imagine if that was actually good. Mm. It would be good. So, yeah, Clippy was annoying.
0: Excellent. All right, Stu, so, well, we're running out of time now. Thanks a lot. I suppose where can people find out about you? I can't imagine it'll be too hard, given that you are the 74th best business <coughs> blogger in the world. So if they yeah. Google Stu Bell or, or Dare if,
2: if they if they Google Stu, they're going to get a journalist who's uh, a Canadian. They'll yeah. get something who wrote something about the Bay of Pigs. But give it a go. Also, I think our Audere is probably the easiest way. If you just type in A U D E R E, it'll take you through to. A whole bunch of stuff um, about the business and whatnot. And if anybody sort of has any questions about anything we've spoken about, just just shoot me out an email. I'm more than happy to answer anything.
0: All right, Stuart. Thank you very much for your time today. It was certainly thank enlightening, you. and it looks like there is some light on the horizon for small and medium businesses.
2: I do. I I believe so. I I totally do. Okay. Thanks a lot for your time. Take care. Thank you,
0: Ruben. Okay. Bye bye. Okay, now it is time for my Propeller Head of the Week. Now, Propeller Head of the Week is all about automatic insurance with your employer. When you join your employer, you may become a member of their default super fund, and it will often have insurance attached to it. Some employers will just give you the very basic insurance. But others will provide a higher level of cover depending on how the super fund is designed. So it may give you something like six times your salary or even higher. And it may give some income protection as well. Now the beauty of this type of insurance is that it is automatic. It does not require any medical or financial underwriting. You get it and all pre-existing conditions are, are met So it's a really easy way to get insurance and I suggest that you always be very careful before you opt out of these. You'd want to make sure you can get insurance at a similar cost and with just as good conditions before you opt out of any automatic insurance that you are offered by your employer. Okay, well that's all for the show today. Thank you very much for listening. I'm Ruben Zora and if you want to search up previous podcasts, Uh, Just Google the finance hour. In the next few weeks, I'll be incorporating all these podcasts on my uh, business website, Adapt Wealth Management, and then they'll be easier to find. But for now, you can still Google it and you will find us or search us on iTunes or Stitcher. Thank you very much and we'll see you next week.